It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. As promised, we're back. Jerry Brisson, the CEO of Gleaners Community Food Bank and the chair of the Food Bank Council board. And myself, Dr. Phil Knight, are in the studio with Dr. Diana Pierce. And she is the author of the Self-Sufficiency Standard, a study that the Food Bank Council has commissioned. And uh, we are just beginning to peel some of the layers off the onion of this study and, uh, and really find out what it means and what are some of the implications. And one of the things I noticed already is that the study allows us to have conversations that we've never had before with people that we've never talked to before. Because everybody's interested in this. They're interested in helping people. They're interested in our context of creating food security. And, of course, being self-sufficient is a great way to do that. <laughs> so um, we talk about a lot about that. So let's, let's maybe in this section, um, folks, try to dive into specifically what have we noticed from the standard about Michigan? And, and what are, what are the, some of the specifics? And uh, Dr. Pierce, I'll just I'll let you go. Take off. Well, Michigan is not the most expensive place to live, but it's always a comparison between what it costs to live and what your jobs provide you. Mm-hmm. So, for example, of the top 10 occupations in Michigan, only one of them, top 10 in terms of number of people in the, in the jobs, only right. one of them nurses pays better than a self-sufficiency wage. Um, That's a real challenge. Um, It means that people are really struggling um, in our most common and growing um, uh, wage sectors with making ends meet. And these are bare bones budgets. These are budgets like the food is only groceries. Right. Um, It doesn't, doesn't have any takeout pizzas or ice cream or, or, or vacations to Disney World. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Um, not that anyone wants to go there. Right? Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, not during these days anyway, but yeah, right. Go. So, so yeah, it's a bare bones budget. So what becomes really important then is programs that provide uh, work supports, help, help with some of those expenses, um, programs like your programs, like uh, Food Bank, um, but things like help with child care assistance so that people can make a job that doesn't quite pay enough um, mm. work for them so that they can meet each of their needs and therefore have some stability in terms of their housing, their child care, their food. And on the ground at the Food Bank, we have known for a couple years now that many, many of the people looking for help are employed. So what this report does for us is gives us credibility about something we already know, but it puts it right in front of you. Look, the 10 most common occupations cover a quarter of the workforce, and only one of those 10 provide a wage that would cover the cost of child care and food and health care and housing and utilities for a family with just two children. Right. So so bottom line, it helps explain. It helps us understand better. Here are the levers that families have to play with in order to make ends meet. This is why 47 percent of the people who we see today are employed. So 
that suggests changes in our economy, changes in the way employers are making their ends meet. Because we had Rob Fowler on the show who said to us, he's the head of the Small Business Association in Michigan. He said to us, small businesses are just like people. You Mm -hmm. have ones that are really struggling and ones that are doing really well and everything in between. So when you start to look at changing levers that affect small business, like minimum wages, well, okay, how does that have an effect? Well, how do you even have that conversation if you don't have things like the self-sufficiency study when you can put together, here's all the pieces. So let's start looking at them one at a time and really understand what do families need so they can be supported to their success. Well, I think that's exactly what the self-sufficiency standard does. For us, it defines the problem as if it's never been defined before. And and we can we can now see, okay, if a if a if a family group wherever they're at geographically or whatever their size may be, it's just to say they need twenty dollars an hour at forty hours a week and they're making twelve and we got an eight dollar an hour gap here. Now we can see and define that problem as we never have been able to before. And I think for us, one, it does a couple of things. And I'd like your reaction to this. The first, the first thing it does is it helps us from an economic standpoint, a wage standpoint, be able to qualify what our services mean to the household. I mean, is it worth $2 an hour at a job? Is it worth $3? I mean, that that kind of conversation. And then the second thing is it, it has to take us to having conversations that we've never had before about the scalability of benefits. Because while people have responsibility, so does our structures that support us as in government, and so does our business world. Everybody pulling together, creating and doing things a bit differently helps people get to that self-sufficiency. Only about one out of five, um, and now more like one out of six eligible children actually gets help with child care assistance. So that's of eligible children, not of all children, but of eligible children. Um, So we're missing a lot of people that should be getting help, that we've decided should get in, by making them eligible, should be getting help because their family just don't have enough resources. But food is really important because so many things are, you can't, you can't fudge on. Uh, your rent, you can't tell your landlord, I'm not going to use one of the bedrooms, so I'm going to only give you 80% of the rent. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But, but food is one of those things, if you can get some help on that, that helps you be able to meet things like rent that there's just no choice about, or your taxes out of your paycheck. You know, Those are things you just have no you control, know, control over. Right. Uh, they're, you have to pay 100% of them. Right. So food is, is an avenue to help people that... Um, where there's a little bit of uh, flexibility, but you don't want people to scrimp on food. That's not good for the kids. That's not, you know, poor nutrition has all kinds of, you know, problems. Long-term health problems. And And even short-term behavior issues and other things. I mean, there's so much evidence that supports making sure people have enough food, especially children, Um, though not just children. It it really does affect everybody if they're not getting enough nutritious food. Um, I can tell you it affects me. If I don't have enough nutritious food in a day, you don't want the afternoon meeting. I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, you don't have to think too deeply about it to get the impact that it has, not just in dollars and cents, but in emotions and in how well can you do your job. 
One of the things we do with the standard is we provide not just the bottom line amount, but the budget. So you can look at how much food, how much housing, how much for child care. And many people look at these amounts and say, wow, that's the minimum. But wow, look at how much it adds up to. Uh, so it helps people understand that a problem is not budgeting. It's not making poor choices. It's just that people need this amount of resources, either from their wages or for some combination of wages and work supports. And I think on the ground for us, what that looks like is um, when we're out there talking about our work, there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings about the people that are getting help misunderstandings about their education level or their capacity to manage their household. And so how I frame what you just said is we work with some pretty smart and pretty dedicated people who need help. And and these are folks who are taking a fairly chaotic life and doing their best to make the most of it by and large. And so to acknowledge, look, we know you need this much, you're only getting this much, and the fact that you can manage that at all is amazing. And we can we can change the that part of the conversation from one of accusation, you're lazy, you're not doing enough, to one of amazement of how much you can do with what little you have. Well, that provides hope too. Mm-hmm. That that ch- that changes how people feel about their situation. And you know what? There was an, and the, so this is where I know I don't have this quite right, but I'm going to say it anyway. There was a study some time ago that talked about treatment. And what it said was the most, uh, what drove the success of treatment more than any other single thing was both the provider of the treatment and the recipient of the treatment believing it would work. Well, if you believe in the people you're helping and you believe that helping them is going to work for them and they're going to be more successful, that can be one of the most important things you can do is just believe it'll work. Well, now just believing seems a little Pollyanna The study helps us take that to the next level and say it's not about just believing, it's having the facts that say, look at how amazing you're doing with what you have. You're exactly right. That's a great great study that complements the study we're talking about, the self-sufficiency standard. This has been performed by Dr. Diana Pierce. She is from the University of Washington by way of the University of Michigan. She's in the studio with Jerry and I, and we're going to come back and talk with her one more segment. So stay with us. We'll be right back. <music> 